Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. Hey, this is Vinnie Tong. I'm the editor of The Bay. When the Great Recession hit in 2008, I was covering bankruptcy court in New York for the Associated Press. This is a whole nother level of confusion. This is a how bad, as you said, uh, does it get? Generally, I was inside the courtroom for the marathon-style hearing when Lehman Brothers went into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. When that happened, people really did worry that our entire financial system could collapse. So when I heard PG&E might file for bankruptcy, I knew we'd reached a new level of bad. Then I wondered, how much of a hit is this going to be? And who's going to get hurt the worst? Fires are going to keep happening in California, and someone has to pay for that fire damage. On Monday, PG&E actually announced it would go into Chapter 11 in a couple weeks. And this isn't the first time the utility has been there. We rely on this infrastructure and this utility to do something that has to happen. So they can't just fold and walk away the way maybe some companies could. Today, why PG&E is headed to bankruptcy court and how the San Francisco-based company got to this point. I'm Vinnie Tong. Welcome to the Bay. So there's been kind of a drumbeat of news in the last couple weeks. First, we get a report that they might sell their natural gas unit. Then Reuters puts out a story that PG&E might be filing for bankruptcy protection. Over this last weekend, we hear that the CEO is stepping down. She resigned right before this major announcement. And then we find out in a public filing that it actually intends to file for Chapter 11. Why would PG&E file for Chapter 11? Well, that is the $30 billion question, Vinny. Marisa Lagos is senior politics reporter and host of KQED's Political Breakdown. They have seen their stock basically get cut in half over the past six months alone. Their bonds have been downgraded to junk status. For the first time, they seem concerned about the effect that the fire will have on their access to capital markets. I would say that this is both a shot across the bow of what they think needs to happen and maybe a little bit of political posturing, a last hope at seeing if the state will step in and do something radical that could cut those liabilities or just change the political and legal dynamics for them because these fires keep happening. If PG&E enters bankruptcy protection, does that hurt customers? I mean, this is the huge question. Who is going to pay for these wildfire risks and the litigation that come from them? Lisa Pickoff-White is a data journalist at KQED and has covered PG&E and the CPUC. We're not going to know for years who is going to be paying for this because it's something the state has to answer. It's something the federal court has to answer. It's something PG&E has to answer. And it's something state regulators have to answer. And now it sounds like it's something a bankruptcy judge is going to have to answer. 
PG&E says it plans to file for Chapter 11 around January 29th. But I want to understand how we even get to this point. I feel like we have to go back in time. Basically, PG&E started as a gas company, putting up streetlights around San Francisco in the 1850s. When it became clear that this electricity thing and, and you know, power in general was here to stay. I wash and dry your clothes, play your radios, I can eat your coffee pop. It didn't seem like you were going to want to have two companies running these distribution lines around town. So companies started popping up that eventually consolidated to become what we know today as Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Planning ahead for California's growing electric needs, PG&E, in partnership with General Electric, has had Valacito's atomic power plant in operation since the fall of 57. Along with the utilities, what builds up with them is this regulatory system that basically has to determine, okay, if there's a monopoly, how do we keep electric rates from spiraling out of control? And so that created the system where you have a state agency, the utilities go to them and they say, hey, how much can we charge for this? And then that is negotiated through this kind of quasi-legal process. For the first 150 years of PG&E's existence, Things were going pretty swimmingly. People got their power. People liked the company. People liked working for the company. People like investing in utilities because they're guaranteed a rate of return by regulators. So everyone was pretty happy with everything until around the 1980s. That's when PG&E fessed up to polluting the groundwater in Hinkley, California, in the decades before. Eventually, PG&E settled a class action lawsuit in the mid-1990s over the contamination in Hinkley for more than $300 million. Now, this was also at a time when electricity rates in California were starting to climb, investments in nuclear energy were pricey, and deregulation was on the minds of policymakers and businesses. Some big power users thought that they could just get cheaper power if they were negotiating their own rates. They wanted a way to go around PG&E and do it themselves. They basically went to the state and asked lawmakers to change the law so they were allowed to go out and negotiate their own power. And in 1996, the California legislature deregulated the energy sector. That ended up shifting power, literally, to independent energy companies and gave them a bigger role in setting electricity prices. Then, in 2000, California got hit with a really hot summer, and demand for electricity shot up. There had been a drought earlier that year, and so PG&E was actually making less power than they had anticipated through hydroelectricity. Suddenly, they had to go to that spot market, these middle companies. Competition was expected to send prices lower, but it didn't. So when you have a really hot summer, the cost of electricity is skyrocketing. Last May, when wholesale prices suddenly doubled, they went higher than the capped retail price. They're saying, hey, we can charge PG&E astronomical sums for this. Except utilities, they've negotiated three years ago how much they can charge you, the ratepayer, for that amount of electricity. So it's like if you go to Costco, you expect to buy a huge amount of something for one price. And that's kind of what the utilities had already done. And what changed with the spot market is suddenly it's as if the prices at Costco are being sold in individual fashions and that price can change every hour. 
there were companies that were actually purposefully withholding energy from the market. So they could have said, hey, you know, everyone is running their ACs at noon on a really hot day. So we're going to, like, make sure there's enough electricity for anyone. And instead, what they were doing was withholding that generation of electricity in order to make the markets rise higher and higher. And this starts to spiral out of control, causing brownouts and blackouts throughout California. Where were you when the lights went out? In your car when all the traffic lights went down? The surge in electricity prices, the rolling blackouts were all seen as evidence that deregulation in California was a failure. It has already reached the point that some California students are going to school wearing extra sweaters and carrying blankets while teachers hand out flashlights. When consumers really started seeing these impacts of the deregulated market was January 17th, 2001. Tonight I'm declaring a state of emergency in California. Which led last Wednesday to Governor Gray Davis not only declaring an emergency. The state had to issue $13 billion in bonds to pay for the energy we needed. And the same year, PG&E filed for bankruptcy. PG&E filed for bankruptcy the first time on April 6, 2001. A federal judge begins hearings today on the largest utility bankruptcy ever. Pacific Gas and Electric went broke last year. Eventually, the utility exited bankruptcy protection in 2004 leaving its customers with higher prices, adding up to billions more on their bills to cover the above market rates. I know another big point in the history of PG&E was the fatal San Bruno explosion in 2010. Out of Northern California, a giant fireball there last night, just around dinner time. Dozens of At first, we didn't know if a plane had crashed. The plane crashed where I think it is. I mean, that's how big this explosion was. It leveled an entire neighborhood. I got down there within the hour, and I mean, there were people just standing up in, on the hill from nearby in their bathrobes and slippers who had just run out of their homes to escape. It really, I think, was this second huge black mark on PG&E following the energy crisis of the early 2000s. What was the significance of this event for PG&E and its like, entire survival as a company? It was a huge moment of reckoning for PG&E because the lawsuits that came out of this deadly blast that killed people in this little San Francisco neighborhood, San Bruno, really uncovered more than 123,000 email threads sent between state regulators and PG&E executives where they're doing things like PG&E executives are asking their regulators, hey, do you mind holding off on this control room audit for two weeks? Questions like that. What also comes to light is that PG&E didn't literally know what was in the ground in terms of their natural pipelines. And there's a federal inquiry and a criminal investigation. The National Transportation Safety Board launched a team of pipeline experts to San Bruno to investigate one of the largest pipeline accidents in recent U.S. history. PG&E enters into probation to basically not commit any more crimes. So, like, they basically <clears throat> said, as a company, PG&E is a criminal. Yeah, they're a felon. PG&E's sentence includes a $3 million fine, five-year probation period, independent safety monitoring, and 10,000 hours of community service. But the most publicly visible punishment is an advertising mandate. In the next 60 days... Do you think that in terms of reputation, that San Bruno and what we found out about how they operated and their type of accountability internally sort of set the stage for how we have started to see them after these latest wildfires? Yeah, I mean, I think those emails were really this 
direct sort of look into what happens behind closed doors. These are the people that are not only delivering your gas and electric, but those transmission lines run under our city streets and above our heads, and they impact you know, millions of Californians every single day. And so when there are questions about their corporate culture and whether they're committed to safety or if they're putting profits over safety, it really is is a bigger deal because we're in this marriage with PG&E whether we like it or not. There is no way to get out of it unless you live in one of a very small, less than two dozen communities who have their own public power, even communities that don't pay their bill through PG&E still use their transmission lines and their infrastructure. How does San Bruno change how we think about how PG&E acted during the fires? PG&E equipment has been sparking fires in California for a while. You know, in the 1990s, you had the rough and ready fire. But I think a lot of those fires were in rural counties. And so places like Butte, you know, there might be a death here. There might be, you know, all these acres burnt somewhere. But it wasn't really, I think, until 2017 that people realized that urban areas could catch on fire. And that's one of the big things that have changed. You also have more people living in areas that are woodland, where there didn't used to be homes. And now, when fires spark there, there's a lot more damage, and those fires are a lot more deadly. 41 people are confirmed dead. Residents braced for more damage from the deadly fires. We had an engine crew uh, discover a body, which turned out to be a human body. PG&E said in its SEC filing, that the wildfires in 2017 and 2018 and the liabilities coming from those lawsuits are crippling it and basically forcing it to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. But we know that Chapter 11 is really kind of an elective act. So can you tell me why you think this is the route it says it would like to take now? I think PG&E looked around at their options and they said, OK, well, we could work with state regulators who recommended possibly removing all of PG&E's board. They could work with state legislators who certainly gave them what some are calling a bailout in terms of this bill that could put regular Californians on the hook, possibly, for some of these liability costs. And then I think they looked at this federal judge in this criminal probation hearing who could really change how they have to do things. For them, it seems like a lot easier of a task if you have one judge overseeing all of those lawsuits from victims, whether they be individuals, insurance companies, cities and counties. Combine that with this federal probation case where they are basically being asked whether, you know, as a felon because of Sam Bruno, they violated that probation by their actions relating to these wildfires. I think what we saw in the filing from PG&E with the SEC announcing this Chapter 11 plan is that they're not just worried about what's already happened. They're worried about what's going to happen. They have not done all the things they need to do to shore up their infrastructure. So they're looking at 2019, 2020 and going, if this repeats itself every year, we're not going to be able to pay our bills or do our business. And we need a fix. And and some of the fixes that they had proposed to the PUC aren't even going to take place until, say, 2022. So I'm one of PG&E's customers. What does this bankruptcy filing actually mean to people like me? 
What we do know is that the power is going to stay on. No one's power is going off. No no one's gas is getting shut off. Everything is going to continue as normal. PG&E is saying that they're going to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which means that they want to reorganize the company. It doesn't mean that they're going to shut down suddenly or anything like that. However, in terms of the ratepayer question, that's a lot more complicated because all of a sudden you have all these actors who are involved with how much we pay for our electricity. And there's a big question, which is, should utilities be able to charge ratepayers for fire damages, for liabilities? Fires are going to keep happening in California and someone has to pay for that fire damage. And that is something that Californians are going to have to decide. That's the question underneath all this. Who should pay for the cost of wildfires? Is it PG&E? The wildfire victims? Is it all of us, collectively, who are responsible for contributing to climate change? That was KQED data journalist Lisa Pickoff-White and KQED senior politics reporter Marisa Lagos. And special thanks to Amanda Font for her help on this episode. I'm Vinnie Tong. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you on Friday. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. <laughs> 